Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, good morning, Mission Church. Come on, can we give the Lord some praise this morning? What a great day to be in the house of God. Happy 4th of July. Anybody excited for this week? You know the spiritual people come this weekend. But listen, I just want to say, first of all, welcome home. If you are a first-time guest, you are in a great house, whether you're in person or online. Uh, we are so grateful to have you today, and I'm honored, as always. I feel like family here. I don't feel abnormal. I don't feel weird and awkward. I don't feel nervous. I'm actually really excited. I feel like God has put a message in my heart for us today. But I got to just take a moment and brag about you guys for just a minute. I don't know if you guys know, but God is doing something special in Mission Church. I mean, I would hope you would know that. But that's the rumor on the street as well. I was with the pastor the other day, and we were golfing because that's what pastors do. I don't really golf, though. I just talk and try not to lose the ball. But, but we, we got talking about your pastors. And everybody says the same thing. I love those guys. I love those guys. And it's just, it, it's real. The reputation mission church that you have is you are a church that is alive. And it's not like the church of Sardis where you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. No, you have a reputation of being alive because you're really alive. And that takes, can I just tell you, that takes the power of God. It takes an incredible team and it takes incredible leaders and pastors and I can say this with a clear conscience and, and, and a deep conviction that you have two of the best pastors on the planet. The, the, one of the guys that I talked to, he's like, man, I knew from the moment that I met them, their church was going to be huge. I was like, how do you tell that? What do you think about me? <laughs> he didn't say anything. But listen, we love you guys. We're so grateful that you are here in the house today. We honor you. We celebrate you. Come on. Can we thank God for your pastors? Well, listen, I, I want to speak to you today around this, this idea of the seat of wisdom, the seat of wisdom. We're going to try this. Did it go up? There it is. Now, now, when we think about wisdom, we may think a lot of different things, but I would define wisdom as this, as wisdom is God-given and God-centered discernment, obtaining God's direction and understanding regarding the practical issues of life. Now, normally when we think about wisdom, we think about Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, but we're not going to be in Proverbs today. We're going to be in a parable. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Let me set the stage for you just for a moment. There's a party happening at a very wealthy and prominent Pharisee's home. Everybody's in the building trying to rub shoulders with important people, trying to find the best seat in the house next to somebody who could change the game for them. And so Jesus is speaking to some of the, the religious elite. And he goes into this parable, and this is going to be found here in Luke chapter 14. It says this, And Jesus replied with a story, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he said to his servant, Tell the guests, come, for the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One says, I just bought a field. Please excuse me. The second one said, I just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And then I love this one. The last one says, I just got married, so I can't come. 
I just can't come. But then he goes on to say, he says this, he says, the servants returned and told the master when they had heard, uh, he told the master what they had said and his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets into the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he responded, there is still room for more. The seed of wisdom. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word? Pray that it would not be clever speech, but a demonstration of your spirit's power today. God, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified. God, we thank you. Thank you for the worship team here that knows how to... uh, Usher in your presence. What a sweet time. What a sweet space. We don't take it for granted, God. We love you. Would you speak to us and change us in a way that only you can? In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. And amen. I got to go because that clock is running. You with me? Man, I'm so excited. We recently took my girls and our entire pastoral team, our entire pastoral kids, all of our PKs, to go see Bethany Hamilton. Anybody familiar with Bethany Hamilton? Uh, it, it was pretty incredible. This is my daughter sitting in the front row, and we paid for those seats for sure. But, but it was a special time. If you don't know who Bethany Hamilton is, she is a pro surfer who got her arm bit off by a tiger shark, and God used her testimony really to impact the globe, and still to this day, God is doing some amazing things through her life. And our kids are just huge fans. Like they, they love Bethany Hamilton, so they got to see her in person and, and got to, to hear her story. But it was funny because we, we had got the front row, but it was, it was the moment where everything is about to get started, and all the kids had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so the whole front row gets up, and, and another couple comes over to try to sit down. And how many of you guys know Daddy was not having that? <laughs> but but, but the, the messed up part was they came over, and I looked, I'm like, oh shoot, I think this might be the pastor of the church. And so him and his wife came over and said, I, I'm, I'm so sorry, the, these seats are taken. You, you can have my seat. And he kind of looked at me like, just a little sideways a little bit, like, well, like you don't know, must not know who I am. Not in an arrogant way at all, at all, but just was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, no problem. And I was like, oh, no. I called my wife right away. I said, man, I just think I told the pastor he can't sit in his own church, right? <laughs> And so sure enough, they walk over to the other side, same area, sit down. And I knew for sure at that point, it's the pastor. And then he got up to speak and kind of gave me a little eye. And I'm like, man, bad, bro. I'm sorry. I didn't even introduce myself today. I just, I just took off and enjoyed the rest of our evening. But, but how many of you guys know sometimes you got to fight for your seat? Sometimes you got to fight for your seat because anything other than that would be settling. There's no way I was going to let my baby girl settle for a different seat. Now, let me bring some context because we are Christian people and and we understand that Jesus 99.9% of the time will ask you to give up your seat. So like if this place is packed as it is now and a visitor comes in or walks in and you have your little special spot that you sit in every single week, the Lord would say, would you get up and give them your seat? But I'm not not talking about that kind of seat. I'm talking about the seat that God has for you. I'm talking about that supernatural, spiritual seat that God has designed for you. That seat at his table that all hell will fight against to make sure you don't sit and remain in that seat. Now, when I think about fighting, when I think about warriors, I think about Alexander the Great. 
Probably one of the greatest military minds, far from a godly man, but just was an incredible warrior. When you look throughout his life, he conquered most of the known world at 16 years of age. So we're learning how to drive. He's leading an army. (laughs) Conquered most of the known world by the time he was 24. But his motivation was, you know, power, money, ambition. He wanted to be greater than his father. And he was. But what was interesting about Alexander the Great is when kings would go out to battle, normally what they would do is they would, they would kind of hold back behind the infantry. They would let the army go out in front. They'd kind of sit on their little throne or their little chariot or whatever they did back in the day. And, and all of the, the big guns would go up in front. But Alexander the Great was totally different. In fact, he would shine up his armor so bright so that when the sun hits his armor, it would reflect a ray that would let his enemies know Alex is coming. And so, so he would always lead from the front, contrary to what his, his people really wanted him to do. They would tell him on several occasions, you got to hold back. Like you've been shot with arrows. You've, you've almost died several times. And he would say things like this. He, he would reply with, I, I was born for this. I, I was born to fight. I was born for battle. This was a man that refused to settle. He was a warrior. Shout out to the Dubs, winning the championship. Anybody excited about that? It's, it's totally biblical. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Not a Celtic. The Lord is a warrior. So if anybody asks you, oh, you're all into the warriors, why don't you, you know, get spiritual? Just be like, man, I am. This is, this is it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the, our Lord really is a warrior. You remember in the Garden of Eden when he's pressed on every side, getting ready to endure the cross, about to absorb the wrath of, of God as a result of your sin and my sin, the anxiety, the pressure, the tension, so thick that his sweat became like drops of blood. And he said, Father, if there's any other way. How many of you guys are, are so grateful that he, he didn't settle in that moment? He didn't excuse himself from that seat. We're sitting here today because he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. When we look throughout the Old Testament, we see guys like Nehemiah. He he gets rumors that his country and his homeland is is, is in ruins. So what happens? He weeps. He prays. He gets a burden. He fasts. He gets vision from God, and it broke his heart because the walls have been torn down in Jerusalem, the gates have been burned, but more importantly, the people have just settled that this is the way that it's going to be. It had been a lot of years, it had been a lot of time, had passed, and because there were no walls and no gates, the enemy could just come and go as he pleased. They could come in, they could pillage, they could exploit, because there were no walls, there was no boundary, there was no security, and the people just had settled that this is the way that it is. And Nehemiah was like, oh, no. So he got a vision from God. He went. They start to rebuild. But how many of you guys know as you're building, the enemy is not excited about that? Even though he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, we're not ignorant of his schemes. And so the enemy comes in chapter 4 through Sambalot and Tobiah, and the threats start to get a little bit more intense. They start threatening their life. They start threatening to come against the work in a greater way. And Nehemiah says these words. He says, don't be afraid of them. He says, remember the Lord who was great and awesome. 
remember. And then you got to say like this last part with either like an Irish, Scottish, or English accent. And fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Like you got to remember. You got to remember who called you. You got to remember what's at stake. You can't let the enemy get your focus. You, you can't let him get into your mind. There's something bigger. But God has something in this moment. It matters. I think sometimes we look at our homes. We look at our communities. We look at our nation. We see walls torn, gates burned. And if we're not careful, it's really easy to criticize the people of Israel in Nehemiah's day. But we too can take a posture of settling. In fact, I'm reminded what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. He says, I look for somebody that might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. Uh, you want to know what guards the land? It's not gates. It's righteousness. He says, I search for somebody to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. And if you read a little bit before, he kind of rebukes everybody. It's kind of like one of those harsh moments. He looks at the princes and he's like, you're corrupt and you're distracted from your call. You've lost sight. He looks at the priests and he's like, you've lost your way. The prophets are saying, peace, peace, telling the people what they want to hear, excusing their sin. Even the common man was distracted to the point where the Lord says, I can't find one person. Like not one person. Now, I know that's not said of mission church. And I'm not just saying that to hype you up. I, I know that to be really true. I know your pastors. There, there's, there's a heart that says, no, 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 we, we got to fight for that seat. We're, we're not going to settle on the sidelines. We're not going to settle for burn gates. We're not going to settle for destroyed walls. We're, we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to stand and rebuild with righteousness and show the world how attractive it really is to follow Jesus, even in the midst of difficult times. How many guys will say yes and amen to that? The problem is this, the problem is this, is that if we're going to live like that consistently, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that we're going to have to get rid of our excuses. Woo, like, he's going in today. <laughs> like, guest speaker, here we go. Like, you, have you made any excuses recently? Like, anybody ever blame traffic as a reason for you being late? Like, this is my favorite thing. Man, traffic was so bad with a Starbucks in their hand. It was, it was just... <laughs> terrible today right no the reality is you hit snooze like 18 times traffic set you back about two minutes and you stopped at starbucks right and so so we just have mo moments like this where the warriors parade is happening and all of a sudden we're getting a sniffle and, and we already know how to play the game it might be covid so i'm calling in today 30 minutes later starting to feel good praise the lord a miracle is in motion i'm headed to the parade uh, now, now, now what, about, what about this? Let me bring in closer to home parents. Your kid wants to, wants to play, and, and you're exhausted, right? Like dads are, say things like, I worked all day. I work for a living. I'm tired. But in reality, you just want to watch that movie that you saw six times over already, and you just have to watch it one more time. And so, so we, I mean, we get on the list, right? You, you know yourself. And I'm sure in, in moments, our excuses, whether we're busy or whatever the case is, they seem valid, but underneath 
our excuses many times with some deception. And it keeps us from avoiding the seed. It keeps us from avoiding the responsibility of what God has called you and I to. Now, here's the, the damage with excuses is eventually they'll start to accuse you. Because you start to realize that even though some excuses are legit, some are valid. Many times they keep us from the things that matter most, that are much more important. And then when we finally realize that, there's a sense of regret. And the enemy says, how dare you? What kind of a dad are you? What kind of a mom are you? What kind of a Christian are you? My goodness. Like, for real? And so the very things that we use to escape responsibility come back. And the enemy uses to haunt us through the reality of regret. And that drops us right into the banquet. It's Luke 14. Jesus is talking about a great feast. And the people that are listening understand that anybody throwing a great feast is going to be somebody who's very prominent and wealthy. And everybody at this table right now is very wealthy. They're trying to rub shoulders. It's a network gathering. And they're trying to, you know, level up a little bit. And so they're hearing Jesus talk about inviting the, the lame and, and, and the broken, but, but they're also hearing the excuses of people that don't want to be a part of the party. And in their mind, they're thinking, I would die to be at this party. And so the excuses seem a little bit exaggerated. They don't feel as valid to the audience that's listening to Jesus because they would fight with all their might to sit in a seat like that. So what happens? Jesus replies, he says, a man prepared a great feast, and he set out many, sent out many invitations. Notice how it's a great feast, not a small one. And he's not calling them to manual labor. It's not like, hey, I have to move this weekend. Will you come? <laughs> come on, you know who your real friends are who helps you move, right? No, he says, there's a great feast. And all of us know how it feels to be invited to something great, but we just don't realize it. See, in this ancient culture, what you would do is you would get the invitation, you would send your RSVP, and then you would wait. We would go crazy, especially type A people. Like, your calendar wouldn't really apply in the ancient culture because as they're preparing for the banquet, they have to bring in food from all different places. They're waiting for people as they travel. And so there wasn't like a technical date. You just had to be ready that when the king or the master of ceremonies would send his servant into the streets to say, the banquet is ready. Come on, let's go. Like in a moment's time, you'd have to be ready to drop everything for the banquet is now ready. Come on, we would be terrible at that. I I'm sorry. I just can't do it. And this is what happened in this ancient culture. Look what Jesus said in this parable. He says, one person said, I bought a field. I must inspect it. I just bought five pairs of oxen. I got to try them out. Please excuse me. The other guy says, I got married. I can't come. Got married. I can't come. Now, I don't think anybody here is struggling with trying out your five pairs of oxen. I think you're going to leave today and you're struggling with that. Sometimes we may struggle with horsepower. Hey, hey. But not oxen. You're not distracted by that. But what Jesus is doing here is he's covering every life category. What is he doing? He's saying there's no excuse. The field, he's talking a little bit about, you know, stuff. Being consumed with things. Material possessions. Oxen is... 
used, they were used for work. So he's speaking about responsibility and career and, and work. I'm sorry, I, I can't come. I'm too busy. And then the married wise, which is, is, is really interesting, this guy says, I just can't come. And I think there's this deception that somehow all of these are disconnected from our life with God. Because in reality, God wants to use our possessions to, be, to go on mission, our talent, our treasure, our time to impact the kingdom. God wants, there's not this distinction between our career and God. No, work is our worship. And then, and then we look at, at relationships, and your marriage, can I just tell you, is not designed to, be, to do life apart from God, but with God on mission together. Yeah. Now, let me just say on the, on the relationship end, I think this can go a couple of different ways. If you're single, I think it can be an unhealthy relationship that's keeping you from Jesus. Because you're like, Lord, you know where I've been last night. Whew. Please excuse me. Or even unhealthy family dynamics. There's an unhealthy fear that's keeping you from stepping into all that God has for you. And can I just tell you, there, there, there's more. Now, now, the context of this passage is important because it's about salvation. So some of you guys know that. You theologians, you're like, I already know. I already know this. I'm already saved. I've got a seat. And I would encourage you that, listen, as, as a follower of Jesus, that we are invited to the table every single day. That just because, man, you're saved, man, praise God. But I think the principle applies across the board. That you and I have an invitation every single day to commune with him, to feast on his word, to embrace all that he has for us, to deepen our relationship with him. And just as excuses would keep people from salvation, I think in the same way they can also keep us in Christ from taking a seat, from remaining in that seat. A seat of loving, serving, being with, growing, and abiding in him. Are you with me? Yeah. And, and so, so the, the principle applies a, across the board. And, and so, so today, I, I don't want you to, to check out. I, I want to ask you a quick question. Today, maybe you don't know Jesus and excuses are beating you to the seat. I would, I would encourage you to reconsider today. And open your, up your heart to what God may say. Maybe you're a believer and the struggle for you is remaining at the table. Now, now you got to remember, the banquet is just, it, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of everything that our hearts could possibly desire. It's a metaphor of the kingdom of God. It's, it's a metaphor of hope and salvation, that this is a seed of promise. It's a seed of forgiveness, of purpose, of healing, of mission. This is a powerful seat. So many times we, we get an invitation we RSVP, we come to the banquet, like we're so excited, we look at the seat, we're like, man, this is amazing. We walk around the seat, consider the seat, stand real close to the seat, all while never taking a seat. And we settle. And everything goes through our minds of why. But you know that person that comes to your house and never sits down? <laughs> Anybody know that person? Maybe you are that guy or that lady. When there's like five seats, you're like, hey, why don't you sit down and eat? No, I'm good. I'm good. Like, dude, there's like five seats. No, 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 no I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. We, we got to learn how to fight for our seat. On, yeah. We got to learn how not to, to, to settle in the moment. 
Because the reality is the enemy of your soul is doing whatever he can, whatever he can, to whisper lies, excuses. He wants you to reason yourself away from what you know to be true, from God's best. Let me take you back to the garden of Adam and Eve. You remember that moment where the serpent comes, and really what he's saying is God is holding out on you. The fruit is so much better. The knowledge that it will bring you, the wisdom, you'll be like God. And, and this is so tragic because in this moment, Eve is considering. She's already got a seat. And she's listening and she's considering and finally she bites the bait and she, she forfeits. She gets up and she says, God, please excuse me. She falls in to the trap to find everything that she knows to be true. The devil would love for us to live in the realm of excuses. He would love that. Anything to keep you from feasting, anything to keep you from building, anything to keep you from standing in the gap, anything to keep you from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And all oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. So, so the question is this, is why do we bypass as followers of Jesus this seat so often? Like, 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 why do we dance around the seat, abandon our calling, forfeit our freedom? We just kind of have this little, ah, do a little two-step with the seat, forfeit our freedom, leave our post. I don't think the answer is complicated. I think it's just like we see in the parable is the reality is this. We just don't see the importance of the invite. Wow. See, see, most excuses that we have, they're not evil. Would you guys agree? Yes. Like, like, it's not like, hey, I'm going to do a drug deal. God, please excuse me. <laughs> right? We, that's just not normal language for us. I just robbed a bank. I need to lay low for a while. Please excuse me. <laughs> like, no, no, that, that's, that's, they're not blatantly sinful. But... Compared to the weightiness of the one who is inviting us. They're lame. So they're not sinful. They're just lame. I mean, could you imagine the king of kings is saying, I got a seat for you. And, and then we get just distracted by everyday life. And listen, I'm included in that. I don't get a pass from this. I got to fight for my seat all the time. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the subtle things. Anybody been to a crab feed recently? Crab feeds are incredible. My wife and I were just talking about this the other day. We're like, we got to go to a crab feed very soon. But they can also be kind of shady. Because, <laughs> you know, they, they know you're coming hungry. Told you to invite all your friends. Make sure you come. It's going to be a fundraiser. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And, and, and you're having combo around the table. And they come and they just drop off some bread. Slide the bread on the table, and you're just eating in the moment. Conversation is flowing. Then they drop the salad. Boom. And then you're eating the salad. And now even on, on some crafties, they send you some pasta. <laughs> They're sliding some pasta in there. You're eating the pasta. And then all of a sudden, the crab comes, and you're stuffed. And then what do they do? They take the leftovers, bag it up, and sell it to you. I mean, it's kind of a brilliant marketing plan but it's a little bit shady. 
And, and so like, you know, for a crappy, let me just give you some, let me just give you some, some game real quick. You need to go hungry, but like a timeshare, you need to learn the word no. Every single time a little salad comes in, no, thank you. Nope, nope. I want to get my three days and my dinner voucher and I'm out, right? Because then we find ourselves feasting on everything except for the thing that's worth the most. We settle for all of the sides while never getting to the main meal. You got to fight for your seat. You can't settle. There was a professor who's an atheist in the Midwest, and every year a freshman class comes in, and he tries to dismantle their faith. And he always asks this question. He says, Do you, how many of you really believe that the Bible is the word of God? And 90% of the hands go up. It's in the Midwest. California, maybe like two. Depends on what you mean by that. So all these hands go up, and then he asks the second question. How many of you guys have read it all the way through? Goes from about 90% to 4%. And then he asks a question like, how many of you guys have read Twilight, even for school or a book report or something that's popular of the day? And about 60% of the hands go up. And then he replies with, I don't think you really believe the Bible is the word of God. Because if you really believe God was giving you an invitation and giving you his book of instruction and you are not taking advantage, you're never essentially taking a seat or accepting that invite, he's like, yeah, I just, I'm just not buying it. And, and I kind of agree with him. And sometimes even as a pastor, I smack myself. I told my wife the other day, I was like, listen, the Lord says very clearly that I am to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of God's word. And I'm like, I just don't feel like I feel like I can be devoted to a lot of things, and I'm always in the Word. I'm always in prayer. But am I devoted to those above all else? Sometimes I'm not, if I'm just keeping it 100. And so I told my wife the other day, that has to be the top of devotion. And that's, that's a little bit embarrassing to say as a pastor, but, it, but, it, but it's real because we don't get a pass from this. There are a lot. Listen, church is not. People will say, hey, what else do you do besides Sunday? A lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. And it's great. It's the best job on the planet. But sometimes what we're called to be devoted to, we can just get side hustled by all these little things and miss out on what God has actually called us to be devoted to. And so, so I think this professor is right in the sense of, man, if we recognize the weight of the invitation compared to every other excuse, it should make them feel utterly lame. And that's why I believe that we have a lot of intellectual atheists and practical atheists in our day. An intellectual atheist just says there is no God, he doesn't exist. A practical atheist says there is a God, he does exist, I just live like he doesn't. And so I, I think in a lot of churches we have, we got people pointing to the seat. It's so good. Yes. I believe in the seat. You need to sit in the seat. Come take a seat. Oh, I'm never taking a seat. And then I think for some of us, it, this is what it looks like. We got everybody fooled because we're just in a squat. It looks like we're sitting, but you can only stay. My legs are already shaking. I'm not in shape, y'all. But you can only stay in a squat for so long. Can I just tell you that religion is exhausting? This is religion. It's, it's a pretend seat. And then you start sweating. You're like, oh, Lord, I just don't. And then eventually, eventually, 
you just, you can't fake it anymore. It's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm really not sitting. I know you guys thought I was sitting, but I'm really not sitting down. I'm not taking a seat. But if we, we understand the one who is inviting us, we just don't see the importance sometimes. Check this out. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Some of you guys said, amen. <laughs> your father and your mother, your wife and your children, brothers and sisters, some of you may be giving, taking a little praise break right now. Like, yeah, I knew it. I knew I was justified. But no, the Bible says that you are to honor your parents. So kids, just you have to really lean in. You can't just hear that and then go to the bathroom. You need to lean in right now. He says, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying is that the incredible affectionate love that we have for our family, our parents, even messing with our kids. God, you throw our kids in there. I love my kids. And God's like, yes, I know. And loving them is loving me. But my invitation to you should make all of those other loves look pale. There should be no comparison. And, and you could look at all of these things. One guy trading uh, the feast for a field. Cattle for his calling. That's what pastors do. We just F and F, feast and field. Cattle and calling. One guy just says, man, I'm married. That last part was supposed to be a joke. You guys totally missed it, so we're going to keep it moving. Um, <laughs> but the, the guy just said, basically, you know, I, I'm, I'm married. And that almost sounds like a valid reason. I'm married, man. I just got married. I'm busy. I'm be about this kingdom stuff. Take a seat here. We just did a big old wedding. I don't need another seat. And it sounds right, but unfortunately, in, in, this, in this culture, it was really a lame excuse because women didn't have the authority like that in a man's life. Just Nowadays, we would buy that hook, line, and sinker. Like, yeah, I get it, bro. You stay at home. <laughs> but back then, back then, it was no way. They're like, women were not leading the way like that. And so it, sound valid, it sounds valid on the surface, but when you get underneath it, there's nothing there. It's just, it's just an excuse. It may sound good. It may sound valid. And so my question to you today is just simply this. What, is, what excuse is keeping you from your seat? The seed of intimacy, salvation, hope, promise, calling. Like, like what, what excuses? And, and I would encourage you to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Don't take your own advice. You might be like, I don't have any excuses. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll reveal a couple of them to you. Because we, we, don't, we don't have the time or the energy to, to squat right. and to pretend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the seat that changes everything. On, yeah. This is the seat that not only impacts our life, but it impacts everyone else around us. So I would propose to you this. I just got one, one point for you today is this. Is, is in regards to this, we need to let our choices lead and our feelings follow. Because so many times, feelings, as, as a pastor, I hear this a lot. I just feel, I just feel, I just feel, I just feel. I'm like, me too. <laughs> but our, our feelings are a gift from God. We're not trying to suppress our feelings. They're a gift from God, but they can also deceive us and lead us astray. And, and so, so the reality is this, is, is we don't want to neglect our feelings. We just don't always want our feelings to lead. Because our feeling, can I just tell you, feelings will cause us to live in the realm of excuses. I just feel like, 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. Can I just tell you, if you missed the first part of that verse, you missed, the, you missed up the whole motivation of that verse. If you try to present your body as a living sacrifice without first seeing your life in view of his mercy, one will give you a religious motivation, the other one will give you a gospel motivation. Gospel motivation says, in light of all you've done for me, yes. In light of the cross, in light of... Yes, I'm excited for this seat because I get to be with you. Just to present your bodies as living sacrifices apart from in light of his mercies. It's this, I'm going to try really, really hard to sit. I'm going to try to lay down my life. I'm just going to try so hard. and It just doesn't work. Maybe the last two weeks. But then he goes on to say, he says, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. And do not conform to the patterns of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know and approve and test what God's will is for your life, what his good, perfect, and pleasing will is for your life. I think when we think about renewing our mind, though, we stop with consumption. I just got to consume the word. Yes, you do. That is the first step. But then a lot of times we just stop there. I'm just reading and nothing's really changing. Nothing. And so I would encourage you to do this. Yeah, consume God's word, but then you have to start to base your decisions off of the truth that you're inhaling, regardless of how you feel. Because then what happens is this. Then what happens when you do that, you start to taste and see that God's way is so much better than the way that you feel. So when you start to taste the fruit, not easy all the time, but when you start to taste the fruit, it's like, oh yeah, and the pattern changes. So a lot of times we're just, we're, we're missing this component. We're letting, we're consuming the word and letting our feelings lead. Rather than consuming the word and let our choices lead based upon God's truth that we know to be true and let our feelings follow. If Eve would have just took this counsel in the, in the beginning, I know it felt right. Would have saved a whole lot of trouble. And the pattern begins to change. I don't really feel like going to church. I'm tired this morning. It's 4th of July. Kinda. It's like Wednesday. Yeah, but the Bible says do not neglect the fellowship of the brethren. So I know I feel this way, and that's fine. Give yourself permission to feel. That's cool. But just don't base your decision off that. Base your decision off of the fact that, no, this is what God has called me to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my choices lead, and I know my feelings are going to catch up, because once I step into Mission Church on a Sunday, I'm going to be so glad I came. I have, I have yet to, I have yet to, listen, I have yet to find somebody that's like, hey, did you hear what happened to Joe? The will of God. <laughs> Terrible. I, I, I've yet to find somebody that's like, man, I'm so disappointed with my life. I'm walking in obedience to Jesus. <laughs> but I have heard thousands on the other side saying, I wish I would have, oh my goodness, I wish I'd felt, I would, uh, uh. but could you imagine by his power and by his grace, if we break through some of these excuses, by his spirit, because this seed is not just about us, it's a beautiful seed, and it doesn't, changes our life, from salvation, and then to abiding in that seed. 
It's a game changer, but it's, it's so much bigger than us. So I came out of a denomination called Foursquare. We're not a Foursquare church anymore, but I came out of a denomination of Foursquare. And this woman by the name of Amy Simple McPherson was the, the founder of the, of the movement. A lot of controversy around her life, a lot of different things, but she was broken just like the rest of us. But there, were, there was a moment where she was on the mission field with her husband. Her husband was like kind of the, the, the missionary guy and they were in, I think it was Malaysia or somewhere, in, somewhere across the globe, and he, he caught malaria and he died. And so Amy just tried to settle into a normal life. She just tried to settle in the pocket and just, you know, raise her kids. And she got really sick one time, and the story goes that they called her mom to say, hey, she's sick, she's in the hospital, she's not going to make it, you got to come say your goodbyes. And Amy said it was in this, this kind of almost comatose state where she just heard the whisper of the Lord say, will you, will you go and preach my word? And I don't know if she said it verbally or just in her heart, but she said, yes, Lord, I will go. Two weeks later, she got up, feeling better, out of the hospital, a single mom now, but God is about to do some incredible things. She then gets a little car. Come on, look at that whip. Jesus is coming. Hey, you put that on your car today. Don't try this at home, all right? <laughs> California people will run away from you like, get away. But, but get this picture. A single parent mom traveling the globe, traveling the nation, not even knowing where she might stay. Just knowing she can't settle. She's taking her seat. I got kids. I don't know where... Provisions coming from, I don't know where I'm going to, st- I don't know what's going to happen. Come on, where, where's our excuse? But man, it was so much bigger than her. I'm super grateful for that movement. I got saved in, in, in that church, and we are not a church, a four-score church any longer, but that doesn't take away from the heritage and, and the life that she's led. But it, it was so much bigger. This is one of my favorite pictures. It was Stretcher Day, Denver, Colorado. I just stared at this picture for so long, on so many occasions, just ambulances bringing people who are sick in body, doctors, praying over people and people getting healed. And I just thought, man, like what in the world? All because a woman fought for her seat. All because she refused to settle, but it was so much bigger than her. So much bigger. Seat yourself. Feast, taste, feed on the life-giving word of God. And watch what God does to your heart. You take that seat. Oh, God's going to get a, put a burden in you for brokenness. You're going to see walls, and they're going to grieve your heart. You're going to see gates burn. It's going it's to mess with you in a, in a crazy way. You're going to see lost people, and it's going to change the game. From You're going to go from seeking God to serving with all of your heart. There's just something that changes on the inside of us. Why? Because we got we to gotta fight for this. We can't settle. And can I just tell you that we were destined for this. So many of us, we don't understand the seat. What do I mean? Let me tell you where you're seated. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you that as a, as a believer, you are seated in a position that, that is found in a different realm. It's not just a natural realm. It's a, it's a, it's a position of power, of authority. God hasn't just called you to get saved with him, but to rule and to reign with him. It's a seat of destiny. 
It's not only, God, you know, just, just save me. God's like, I'm going to save you, and you're going to sit with me, and I'm going to show you the world. We've got to fight for our seat. No excuses. There was a, let me close with this. There was, there was a, a nobleman, and he, he was asking this question. He was, he was found in, in Europe. True story in a mountain village, and he was asking the question, how do, how do I leave a legacy? So he built a church, beautiful church. This isn't the church, but it was something like this. And nobody saw it till it was done, and everybody walked in, and they said, man, it's beautiful, but where's the light? Where's the lights at? How are we gonna worship with no lights? He said, I'm so glad you asked. And he proceeded to hand a lamp to every family. And he pointed to a little hanger on the wall. And he says, every time you come to the house of God, you light your lamp and and you, you hang it on the wall. And he says that every time you miss, the house is going to be a little bit darker because you're not in it. I talk about conviction. I'm like... Like, we know you weren't at church, right? It's dark over there. But listen, if that's sometimes, if the average person attends church, like, you know, once or twice a month, I know that's not said of mission church, but statistically it's the truth. Man, if if it's looking dark in here, what about out there? We got to fight for our seed. We got to refuse to settle. Because the seed, listen, it's about you, but 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 it's more than you. God has called us to be light in the midst of darkness, both in the house and outside of the house. But that can't happen with excuses. And I say that with all the grace and all the adoration and thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's doing in our lives. But can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is more that God wants to do. Will you stand to your feet? Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for every person in this house, Lord. And maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and your heart's Maybe it's racing a little bit because there's been a lot of excuses. You may have been in church, but you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you, you're in here and and you're in the proverbial squat, trying so hard just to stand, just, just to keep the religious appearance alive. And the Lord is saying, you don't have to squat anymore. You can take a seat. I got freedom for you. I got purpose. I got calling for you. So listen, really quickly, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, you say, Pastor Matt, I just need to, maybe you just need to get rid of the excuses. And today is just a day of fresh commitment and surrender to Jesus. So no matter where you're at, if you're in one of those three spaces, will you slip up your hand today? Don't worry about who's around you. No excuses. Slip up your hand right now so I can pray with you. I'm just going to pray. Yep, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, I see yours. Yep, thank you. Yep, I see yours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Yep, I see. Yep, I see yours. Anybody else that would say, that's me. The, the, the hand raise is not for me. It's not, it's not for my ego. It's for you to respond to what God is speaking to you. So let me just ask one more time. Is there anybody else who just says, yeah, I just need to publicly declare right now. Even though everybody's head bowed, eyes closed, nobody's looking at you. But just before you and the Lord, that yeah, I need, I, need to, I need to get rid of my excuses. I need to go all in today. All right. Father, I just thank you. Listen, with, can, can we just all pray this together? Especially if you raise your hand, just pray this. with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I thank you for the cross. I thank you didn't forfeit your seat so that I could be free 
and forgiven. I confess you today as my Lord, and I just surrender all that I am. Holy Spirit, reveal my excuses. Forgive me for my sin and help me to follow you with all that I am. In Jesus' name, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.